We're just here to talk about some of the big questions um, of faith. And, and so last week we looked at the question, does God exist? Does God exist? And, um, and, and we kind of provo- provided some evidence of, of why it makes sense that there is a God. Um, and I think in America, most people believe in some sort of God. Um, and they might believe different things about God, but they believe in some sort of God. But if there is a God, um, as, we, as most people believe, if there is a God, then what does that God have to do with us? Um, is the God personal? Does the God care about us? Does, does the God just sit up there and, and kind of sit from afar? Did he, he uh, just create the world and just leave it? Like, like, what is the deal with God? Like, what do we have to do with God? What is the connection between us? Well, well, as we um, are going to be talking about tonight, there was a guy named Jesus. He lived 2,000 years ago. He's an historical figure in Israel, um, and he actually lived on this earth. Um, almost no scholars will, will say that Jesus did not exist as a person. And he claimed, he, he made a very, uh, very controversial claim. Um, if there was a guy, like, on your school campus or on the road outside that had a sign up that said, I am God, we'd all think he is what? crazy, right? So it is a controversial claim, and, um, and he claimed to be the son of God, not just that he was God, but he was also the son of God, and he said, um, I am the way to God, and he also said, if you've seen me, you have seen God. He made some, some claims that ultimately got him killed, and, and that made people very, very angry, and here's, here's what's important. If what he claimed is true, if he actually was God, then it changes everything. Then, like, we, um, we must uh, follow him. We, we must listen to what he has to say about things. We have to um, pay attention to who he is and what he said because if he actually is God, if he actually is the son of God, it changes everything. But how do we know? How do we know whether or not a guy that lived 2,000 years ago when we weren't even close to being alive, when America didn't even exist, like, how do we know if that guy was who he says he was? Well, it all centers around one thing. One thing, and it was the claim that he made that he said he would die and raise again. And so it all centers around the question of whether or not that actually happened. Because if it did, if he rose from the dead, then everything he said is true. His teachings were true. His miracles were real. Like everything that he was about, we need to be about. But if he didn't, if he didn't actually raise from the dead, then it's all pointless. Churches are pointless. Our faith is pointless. And you may say, well, oh, that's, that's really bad for you to say, Ryan. Well, I'm not the first one to say it. Actually, Paul was the first one to say it. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 if you have a Bible tonight. And here's what he said in verse 14 and then again in 17. He says this, and if Christ has not been raised, so he didn't come back from the dead, our preaching is useless. Keep in mind, this is a preacher saying that his preaching is useless. And, and so is your faith. So he tells everybody, your faith is useless if, um, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. Furthermore, in 17, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, meaning it's worthless, it's pointless, and you are still in your sins. You're still in your sins. So, so Paul said it. He was like, guys, guys, if he didn't raise from the dead, we might as well all just go home because this is, this is pointless. Like, we, we, we shouldn't even continue in this. And, and as it said in the video, C.S. Lewis, um, again, he was the guy who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, but he wrote a ton of books about God. And here's what he said. He, he essentially said, Jesus is either a lunatic a liar, or Lord. See, a lot of people like to try to say Jesus was like a good person, like he was a good teacher, a good moral teacher. Um, but C.S. Lewis is like, he didn't, he didn't leave that option available to us. He's either a lunatic, meaning that he thought he was God, but he's not, and that would make him crazy. He's a liar because he knew he wasn't God, and he told people that anyway. He was a con man, he was a criminal. Or 
or he was telling the truth, and he actually is Lord. And so we can't, we can't come, come to, to, to Jesus with this kind of teaching of like, oh, well, or this kind of thought of like, oh, well, you know, he's a good person, and then just walk away. We have to make a decision. He's either a, lun- a, a lunatic, a liar, or he is Lord. So we're going to ask the question tonight, did Jesus really rise from the dead? We got notes. If you need them, um, Christian will bring you, bring you one uh, if you just raise your hand. But we're going to pray, and then we will get started. Heavenly Father, I pray that tonight you would speak to us. Um, that you would speak to us in the 5 o'clock service, you'd speak to us in the 7 o'clock service, and you would show us um, your reality. You would show us that you are alive and that we would hear from you and that all this information um, wouldn't just go in one ear and out the other, but that we'd actually pay attention to it and really hear from you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So a lot of people will say um, Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead. And their assumption is people just don't rise from the dead. People die, they go into the ground, and they never come back. That's just the way it is. And so they come in with this assumption that it's just not possible. And so then they start trying to make arguments about why it's not possible. But the thing is, there's a lot of evidence that shows that Jesus, the historical Jesus that actually existed, actually did rise from the dead. And, and, if, you, and if you say it just didn't happen, there are a lot of things you have to account for. There's a lot of uh, evidence that you have to refute and that you have to come up with an explanation for. And so we're going to go through six of them tonight, six of them. We went through five last week. We're going to go through six tonight. This first one's going to be the longest, but this first one's maybe the most important. Number one, gospel accounts that say Jesus rose from the dead are reliable. Gospel accounts that say Jesus rose from the dead are reliable. Reliable. So the gospel accounts, uh, if you've never kind of heard about them before, the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's four of them. They talk about the life and, and, the, and the living uh, and the teachings and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, the reason why uh, this is so important is that all four of them say that Jesus died and that he rose again. Now, people would say, well, they're not, those books aren't reliable. Well, well, they are reliable, and here are some reasons why they are reliable. One, they were written by eyewitnesses. Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. He walked around with Jesus. He was a tax collector. He got called to be a disciple, and he walked with Jesus. Mark was an early leader in the church. He was alive at the time. He was a close friend of Peter, and actually it's thought that the book of Mark is written in, the, uh, in kind of the viewpoint of Peter. So it's kind of Peter's account, and Peter was one of, like, basically Jesus' best friend. The third gospel is Luke. He was a doctor. He wasn't a disciple, but he was a doctor, um, and he was the doctor of Paul. He was a friend of Paul. He followed Paul around, and basically, he was like a first-century um, journalist. And he went around and talked to all the eyewitnesses, talked to the disciples, hung out with the disciples, was around when Jesus was around, and he um, he basically uh, came and, and said, "This is what happened." And he gives a lot of details. If you read that book, that's got the most details. And then John was the other closest disciple. Of Jesus, And so it's written by eyewitnesses, people that saw Jesus, watched Jesus do what he did, watched him die on a cross, and watched him raise again. And what do we do every time there's a crime, or you watch any crime show, or SVU, or whatever? They are always looking for witnesses. They want to see people who saw it happen, or saw someone that wasn't at the scene of the crime, so they can have an alibi. But they always want witnesses. And so that's one reason why it's reliable, that it's written by eyewitnesses. The second thing is they tell similar stories. Now, they tell very similar, some of the stories in, in, in the Bible or in the New Testament, and the Gospels of miracles and stuff are in more, more than one of the Gospels. It might be in one, two, three, even all four. Um, 
and it's got all these accounts that kind of match up, and it's very similar. Now, there are differences, but if you had four people come and describe the last three years at Fletcher High School and just describe everything that happened, they would all tell different stories. They would uh, include different details. They would have um, different uh, uh, people that they point out, but they would generally kind of come to the conclusion that the same general thing happened, and that's kind of how we see in the Gospels is that they agree Um, but they don't have everything exactly the same. They don't have all the same details or all the same stories. And that shows that actually they're more trustworthy because they're not just all exactly the same. Think about this. When, uh, when When a police officer arrests some people, let's say they were vandalizing something, and they bring in four guys and they put them in separate rooms, what do they do? They ask them for their account of the story. And if all four of the guys were to say the exact same thing, word for word, what would the cops assume? They're lying. They made up the story. They got together, made up a story so that it would sound perfect. And if it was like that, it wouldn't be very trustworthy. But here's the very important thing to know about these four Gospels. They all say the same exact thing about Jesus' birth, that Jesus had disciples, that they had this, he had the same 12 disciples. They all say that he worked miracles and had similar teachings. They, they all say that he was, um, he was betrayed by one of his followers, that he uh, was, was, was crucified, was, actually went through a trial, was crucified, that he was buried in a, in a grave um, and had a, a stone rolled over it, and that he rose from the dead on the third day. So on the very important things, they all say the same Thing. So they tell similar stories. Here's the third reason why uh, gospel accounts that say Jesus rose from the dead are reliable. This is super important. They were written within the lifetimes of people who were there. They were written within the lifetimes of people who were there. So here, here are some approximate dates. Mark was written about 60 AD. Matthew and Luke were written about 80 AD. And John was written about 90 AD. So it's, it's estimated that Jesus died uh, between 30 and 32 AD. And so we're talking about 30 to 60 years later. So I know, I know what you're thinking. I'm 15 years old. That's, that's five times as long as I've even been alive. Like that's a crazy long amount of time. But, but we've got to understand that when Jesus died, And when he resurrected, there were people who saw him. There were people who saw him die. There were people who saw him live. And they were still alive when these books were written. And if they were false, if they were spreading lies, what would all the people have done? They would have gone and they would have said, not true. Didn't happen that way. Never happened. Who is Jesus? He didn't even exist. He didn't die. I was there. Like, I I heard about it. It wasn't in the news. Nobody talked about it. Like, this never happened. They would have refuted it because they knew it was false. If something happened in school yesterday and someone started trying to post a bunch of stuff on social media about what happened and it was false, people would start commenting and they would be like, eh, that's not, that's not really what happened. They'd start arguing and having like a Twitter fight or Instagram fight like we always do. And they would tell, this is not really what happened. This is what happened. And so it's important that they were written within the lifetimes of people who were there because it takes time for legends to form. It takes like, uh, scholars say that it takes like generations. So like People have to pass down the stories to their children and their children and their children and their children before all everybody that was there dies. And then the people that are left are like, oh, well, I heard he did this. I heard he did this. And there's no one there to say any different. Well, it wasn't like this with these books because the people that were there were there to confirm or deny what was written in these books. And I want you to think about this. There were some people that hated Jesus. They hated him so much that they killed him. The Jewish leaders, the Roman soldiers, they decided to put him to death. If, if, if he didn't actually rise from the dead, they had so much reason to go and say, no, 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 he's dead. Go look at the body. He's buried here. And they would have proven that he was dead. 
because they didn't want people going around saying someone else was king when Caesar was king. They didn't want someone going around and saying, well, the synagogue or the the temple doesn't have power. It's really Jesus who has power. And so they would have refuted it if they could. But guess what? We don't see that because the people who were alive confirmed what these books say. And then the last reason why the gospel accounts are reliable is this. They include embarrassing and difficult details. I want you to think about the way it describes the disciples. If you've you've ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the way it describes the disciples, they do some of the stupidest things you can imagine. Like repeatedly, they'd be like, what do you mean by that, Jesus? And he'd say something, they'd be like, well, what do you mean? Well, we don't get it. And Jesus, there's actually a part where Jesus is like, how much longer do I have to hang out with you? He's like, guys, you're so annoying. Like, you never get it. Like, come on, guys, get it together. But repeatedly, they just didn't know what was going on. Don't you think they probably would have taken that part out if they were making it up? Don't you think they probably would have said, ah, let's, let's make ourselves look a little bit better? Or what about how um, Matthew was a tax collector? Don't you think they would have changed that when everybody hated tax collectors? Don't you think they would have kind of left that detail out? Thomas, when, he, when Jesus rises from the dead, Thomas is like, nah, I don't believe it. If, if he's alive, tell him to come here. I'm going to touch the holes in his hands and feet. Don't you think he probably would have left that out? Thomas was like, guys, come on, come on. Just, just please leave that part out. I look like an idiot. Please just, just take that out. Uh, that's the only thing you ever mentioned about me is like that I didn't believe in Jesus. Like I'm a terrible disciple. Come on, just leave that part out. There's a disciple, Judas, who betrays Jesus to his death and then goes and hangs himself. Like these are not details you want to include if you're trying to make up some magnificent story. The disciples even argue about who's the best disciple. They like argue who's going to be like the, the assistant savior. Like, well, when you go up to heaven, Jesus, we want to, we want to know who's going to be your right hand man. And Jesus is like, what? Like, why are you even talking about this? Come on guys. Like I've been with you for three years. Get it together. Like figure out what I'm here for. It also includes some, some rough teachings that maybe they would have wanted to take out if they, um, if they weren't true. Like Jesus, uh, Jesus, we love the whole grace and forgiveness thing, but we're going to leave out the part where you said to eat your flesh and drink your blood. That's a little weird. People aren't going to like it. We're going to stay off that part. Hey, we're, gonna, we're not going to include the part where you said to hate our moms and dads and our brothers and families and all that kind of stuff. Like, we probably, people don't want to hate their family. They kind of generally love their family. Let's, let's leave that part out. Hey, Jesus, um, you told us to take up our cross and follow you. Generally, people don't want to take up a cross. And uh, we're going to leave that part out because it's just not very appealing. And we're trying to make something that people are going to listen to. If they were making it all up, they would have taken those parts out. But they included them. Why? Because it's what happened. Number two, number two, and I promise that one was the longest one. Number two, uh, people will say, well, you know, the Gospels may have been written by eyewitnesses, but over thousands of years, they've been changed. Here's the answer to that. The Gospels we have today, the ones that are in your Bible, the one that's on your iPhone, is the same as the originals. Here's, here's what we know from history. We have more New Testament manuscripts, ancient manuscripts. They're not written on paper. They're not like books. They're like on old papyrus. We have more New Testament manuscripts from earlier or closer to the event than any other ancient writing, any other ancient writing. Um, many of y'all have heard of, of Homer, and he's a writer, and he, and he wrote the Iliad. That's like, uh, I believe it's like the Trojan War and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and he wrote it around 800 B.C., 800 BC, so 800 years before Jesus. Um, And the earliest copy we have is from 100 to 300 BC. So between 500 and 700 years later is our earliest copy of what he wrote way back then. And there are about 650 copies. Now, no one really disputes that what he wrote in 800 BC is the copy that we have today. 
But what we have, we can only compare to something that was written 700 years later. Now, that is like the second most uh, 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 reliable ancient text. The first most is the New Testament. Look at this. It was written between 50 and 100 A.D. We have the earliest copy at 125 A.D., maybe even a little bit earlier. So our first manuscript, it's a small little piece of fragment that's of the Gospel of John. And it says on the verses that you can see the exact same thing that your Bible says today. And it was written almost 2,000 years ago. um, And it was written within 25 years of when the first copy was actually made. Far more, uh, far closer than Homer's Iliad. And there are 24,000 manuscripts from all over Asia, Africa, Europe, the Middle East, and they're all written in different languages, but they all say the same thing. Like this is huge that geographically there's something thousands of miles away that says the same thing as another place. Cause it wasn't like people were just getting on like Delta flights back then and going around. Like it would be uh, very difficult um, to get these texts in different places. And so it's, it's very reliable. We have this thing called the Beatty biblical papyrus. Um, and I think we have a picture of it. It has portions of the Gospels, the four Gospels, Acts, eight letters from Paul and Hebrews. And this is just one of the pieces of the papyrus. But this is, this is from within 100 years of when the original document was written. And that text, which is in Greek, and obviously we can't read it, says the same thing that's in your Bible. It hasn't been changed. And if someone tells you that, they're lying. They don't know what they're talking about. It's just not historically accurate. This guy named Sir Frederick Kenyon, he's a, he's a British guy. He was the former director of the British Museum. He says this, in no other case is the interval of time between the writing of the book and the date of the earliest manuscripts so short as in that of the New Testament. And you may say, well, how much do they agree? Here's how much they agree mathematically. 99.5% of what is in your Bible today is on those manuscripts. And that 0.5% is nothing like important. It's like grammar and, and, and punctuation and, um, and spelling errors. And that's basically it. It is the exact same thing uh, up to about 1,900 years ago as we have today. And so the truth is they are the same as the originals, and we have evidence of that. Number three, number three, Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. You say, why is this important? Because there are these prophecies written hundreds of years before Jesus that talk about the Messiah. And they say all these things, like where he was going to be born, what he was going to say, what he was going to do, all this kind of stuff. And actually, Isaiah 53, which is in the Old Testament, I'd love for you to go home and read it. It's a short 13, 13 verses chapter. And it has 38 prophecies in one chapter alone. And all 38 are fulfilled by Jesus. And if you go and Google it, you can see the exact scriptures in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where he fulfills what, it was, what was written about hundreds of years earlier by Isaiah. Now, why does this matter? Because if he fulfilled all the prophecies, then he was the Messiah. He was the son of God. He was who he says he was and that he actually rose from the dead. Um, some mathematicians came together and they said, what are the chances that any person in the world could f- fulfill even eight prophecies? So as I said, there were 38 just in that one chapter. Eight prophecies, any eight prophecies. And they came up with the chances being one in 100 million billion. One in 100 million billion. This is is what that means. If you took the entire earth and you covered it in one inch by one inch tiles and you put it all over the earth and you had one man walking around and under one of those tiles was an X and every other one was blank. And he walked around his entire life. He could walk to any continent. He could go to Antarctica. He could go to Europe. He could go to, to, to Africa. And one time in his life, he was allowed to bend over and pick up a tile. 
The chances that he would pick up the one with the X on the bottom is the chances that some person could fulfill even eight of the prophecies that were written about the Messiah. And some people might say, well, maybe he just like rigged it. Maybe he like read an old prophecy and he's like, I'm gonna try to fulfill that. Like the Messiah's supposed to ride in on a colt. Someone go get me a colt. Let me, let me go ride in on this. I'm gonna make this thing happen. But there were plenty he couldn't control. There were prophecies about what the soldiers would do while he was on the cross. There were prophecies about his family. There were prophecies about his uh, family tree. There were prophecies about where he was born. Things that he could not control if he was just trying to make it up. And so Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. I know I'm going fast, but there, there's a lot here. Number four, number four. There was an empty tomb and people saw Jesus. So this is kind of a two-part one. There was an empty tomb and people saw Jesus. Now, here's the thing, and I've heard Andy Stanley say this before. He's a pastor in Atlanta. He says, on Easter morning, nobody expected no body. Nobody was at the tomb waiting like 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Jesus is about to rise. This is going to be awesome. Let's get everybody there. This is going to be amazing. Get the stone rolled away. Woo, this is awesome. Nobody did that. Guess where all the disciples were? Well, first of all, they had betrayed Jesus, run away, and they were hiding in an upper room crying about their friend being dead. Like, that's what they were doing. Nobody was expecting this. And so it, it doesn't make sense that they would have just made up this story. They didn't, it wouldn't have made sense that they went and stole the body to try to set something up. And, and some people will say, well, you know, uh, there's explanations. We don't really know. But there is no explanation for the empty tomb. If Jesus really uh, didn't rise from the dead, guess what would have happened? As soon as stories started going around, what would the Romans have done? They would have gone to the tomb and said, there he is. We'll roll away the tomb. You smell it. It's nasty. We're closing it up. He's dead. Or they would have actually probably, they were pretty violent people. They probably would have taken the body and drug it through the streets so that people could see their savior and know that he was actually dead. And yet they never did that because they didn't have the body. And the disciples didn't have the body. And the disciples didn't even expect him to rise again. They didn't even believe it when it happened. So nobody can explain the empty tomb. Nobody can explain where the body went. Now, some people say this is, if you really want to have faith, this is ridiculous. But if some people say that he fainted on the cross, so he got beat up real bad and he passed out. Like there's very smart people, far smarter than me that believe this, that believe that he survived. And then they put him in the tomb and he woke up like, oh my gosh, I've been buried alive. And somebody let him out of there. He's like knocking on the stone, like, come on, let me out. I'm still alive. And, and like that, he just kind of like limped out of the tomb. And here's the thing. If you say that, you don't understand the way Romans killed people. Because here's, here's the thing. They, like, they were experts at killing people. They knew what they were doing. And in fact, if they were to crucify someone and that person didn't die, guess who was going to die? You can guess. Them. The Roman soldier who was supposed to execute him was unsuccessful. He'd get killed. Because that was his only job. And so they knew how to kill. In fact, they would go, um, when they wanted someone to die faster, they'd break their legs because people to survive would push up on the nails so they could breathe and then they'd lower back down. So they'd break their legs like violently so that they could not push up anymore. And when they get to Jesus, they do it to the two guys next to him. They get to Jesus and he was already dead so they didn't break his legs. In fact, that's another prophecy of the Messiah that, they would not, that he would not have a broken bone in his body during his death. And so it fulfilled that. And then they stuck a spear into his side to make sure he was dead. And, and the truth is, he was dead. There were witnesses everywhere. They put him in the, in, the, in the grave. And there's no way that he survived the cross. 
Another important thing is, uh, that, that, that shows about how people saw Jesus was the first eyewitnesses were women. Now, this is not a sexist thing. This is just the truth of that time. At that time, a woman could not legally give testimony. She could not go to court and legally give testimony. Only a man could do that. And so if you're making up a story, you are not going to say that women found the Savior or women found the empty tomb. You would say, oh, it's Peter, it was John, and they would have made it up. But all the gospels say the women got there. And the women got there first. And that wouldn't be the best way to go about making up a lie because nobody would believe a woman. 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 8. We're going to go back just a little bit. Paul is saying uh, all the people that saw Jesus after he rose again. It says, he appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, and then to the 12 disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Some people think they got hypnotized. Well, you can't get hypnotized 500 at a time. So that's not really possible. So there's 500 people, and uh, they all saw him at the same time. And then Paul says, I'm going to prove it. Most of them are still alive right now. Go ask them. Go to Jerusalem. Ask around. You will find them. He was that confident in what he said. And then he said, some have fallen asleep, so some have passed away. And then he said, then he appeared to James, his brother, and then to all the apostles, all the followers of Jesus. And last of all, he appeared to me also. And so there was an empty tomb that can't be explained, and people saw Jesus. Here's the fifth one. First century Israel wouldn't have accepted a lie about resurrection. So here's, here's what C.S. Lewis called this. He had this, it's a big term, it's called, he says, chronological snobbery. Here's what it means in very, very simple terms. It means that people today think people in the past were stupid and gullible. That's essentially what it means. Well, it was 2,000 years ago, they didn't have iPhones, so they must be stupid. Even though some of the greatest, like, thinkers uh, that we still read about today were living at that time. But we'll say, oh, they were stupid, they didn't understand, they were gullible. There's like a Family Guy episode, like, uh, talking about it, like, making fun of guys that are like, oh, they believe in Jesus, he didn't even do anything. They exaggerated, they made it all up. And so, like, that's what people think about people in the past. We just think they're stupid. They, they just believed a lie because they didn't know any better. They, they weren't civilized. But the truth is, the truth is that, that, that doesn't really make sense culturally because the Greeks and the Jews who were, or I'm sorry, the Greeks and the Romans who were like the main people at that time, they believed that if you died and came back to your body, that would be like a tragedy. They believed like to, to die was like freedom. Oh, you're at, finally out of this world. And so they would say like, a guy came back to his life. Like, why, why would he do that? They would think it was stupid. Like, they would, they would not believe that it happened because they wouldn't even want it to happen. It wasn't desirable to come back to life. Like, today, we'd be like, oh, wow, someone came back to life. At that time, they'd be like, no, like, why would you even want to do that? Stay in the afterlife. It's a lot better than earth. And the Jews, well, some of the Jews didn't believe in resurrection at all. They didn't believe it was at all possible, even with the power of God. And then a lot of them did believe it. But they thought it was going to happen at end time. So for them to hear that one person rose from the dead and that they were all still living under Roman rule and their friends were still dead in the graves would have been offensive to them. Like they would not have accepted that. And so for us to just say, well, you know, they're stupid. They didn't have social media. They didn't have Google. So they don't really know what they're talking about. It's just us being snobs. It's us being like, oh, we're smarter than you. We're better than you. But the truth is that the people then would have been just as doubtful as we are Today And here's the last thing, and this is probably, pr- probably just one of the most powerful ones to me, even though it's not necessarily a, a historical thing, um, is the apostles' transformation and the emergence of the church. The apostles' transformation is evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, and the emergence of the church is evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Here's why. The disciples, remember, they're up in the upper room, 
They're crying about their Savior. Oh, he's gone. Our life is over. They're going to find us. They're going to kill us. Oh, they're coming after us now. They were all scared. And a few weeks later, Peter's up in the synagogue in front of everybody that killed Jesus saying, you killed Jesus, and he rose from the dead. And then 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ. Like that, how could that happen? How did that guy turn into that guy three weeks later? How did all these scared, misunderstanding, kind of dull guys go from that to preaching, like preaching out in like, like in the open in front of people and being bold and being courageous? There were people that were like, oh my gosh, aren't these guys fishermen? And then they noted, oh, but they had been with Jesus. That's what must have happened. But, but here's the most important thing about them. Not only did they get bold and they went all over the world sharing, sharing their faith, but they all, historically, they all were martyred. Now, here's what it means to be martyred. It means that you die for your faith. They were crucified. They were stoned. They, were, um, they, they, tried, to, they tried to put John in a, um, in a cauldron of boiling hot water and like, or, or boiling hot tar and like just burn him alive. There were some of them that were, this is, this is graphic, but there were some of them were like skinned alive. Like they were killed in some gruesome, gruesome ways. Now, here's what we have to ask ourselves. Who dies for a lie? Who would die for a lie? If you were telling a lie to your parents and you were really adamant about it, you might, you might keep saying it for a while. And then push comes to shove. They bring, maybe they bring in police. Okay, tell us actually, did this happen? Did this happen? And they're questioning you and you're like, okay, okay, I'll stand strong, I'll stand strong. But when the people are standing there about to kill you and they say, tell us that it was a lie. And you continue by saying, it happened until they actually kill you, then it must have been the truth. Nobody dies for a lie. Or maybe the strong guys would have done it, but the weak disciples would have been like, oh, I can't do this. I'm out, I'm out. But all of them do the same exact thing. And they say the same exact thing. They say, we're not lying. We're not going to stop talking. We're just going to keep on talking about what we have seen and what we have heard. We look at Paul. He killed Christians. He hated their movement. He hated Jesus. He was there when Stephen got uh, stoned and he was going around chasing people and trying to end this rebellion to the Jewish faith. And then he encounters Jesus. And all of a sudden he's running around doing what they were doing. He's preaching to everybody. He's getting beat up. He's getting thrown in jail. He's getting death threats. He's getting kicked out of the synagogue. He's getting made fun of. He loses all his friends. He loses his family. He loses everything. Why? Why would he do that for a lie? He wouldn't. James was the brother of Jesus. In John 7, chapter, or chapter 7, verse 5, it says he did not believe in his own brother. Well, of course, nobody's going to believe your brother's God. But a few years later, he writes a book called the Book of James, which is one of the most powerful books in our New Testament. And all of a sudden, he is now a believer in Jesus. Why would he change his mind? Perhaps, perhaps he saw his brother die on a cross and get tortured to death. And then a few days later, he saw his brother walk in the door. Perhaps Paul saw Jesus appear to him on a road as he was going to persecute believers. And keep in mind, these people had nothing to, look, to gain. They, weren't, they didn't become famous. They didn't become powerful. They didn't come, become rich. They were made fun of and kicked out of towns their entire life. So they had nothing to gain. It's not like they became the kings and the rulers of that time because of this, this story. And then we look at the church. Today, there are millions of churches. There are billions of believers. 
And that all came from 100 people hiding in a room? Like, how does that happen? How do 3,000 people all of a sudden just decide to turn their lives over to Christ? How do all these churches get built? How does this religion become the chief religion of the Roman Empire within 350 years? When, by the way, a couple hundred years before, they would throw Christians into the Colosseum and let them be torn apart by wild beasts and animals and lions and bears. Like, that's what they did to Christians. And a few hundred years later, now it was the faith of the entire empire. How does all that happen? If you're going to say Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you have to have an explanation of how that happened. And here, here's what I'm going to close with. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5, so same chapter, a couple verses back, Paul is going to share uh, what we call a creed. It's kind of like, um, uh, uh, like a song, a hymn, a, a poem. And at the time, people, a lot of people couldn't read and write. So the way they would pass stories is they would come up with a, a, a kind of a rhyming verse to profess what happened. And so they did this in the early church. And he shares this creed. And here's what he says. For what I received, so he's saying the creed was passed to me, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. Now here's something very important. I want to I show you a timeline. Paul writes this book, 1 Corinthians, in 53 AD. So remember those other books were written a little, a little bit later. So this is 20 years after Jesus died and was resurrected. So I can, I can remember 20 years ago. When you're older, you can re- 20 years is a lot to you guys, but to older people, it's not that long. And so uh, he, he's 20 years after, after Jesus died. But he's talking about something that he told them when he was there a few years earlier. And then he follows up, but I was told that by other people before I told it to you. And in Galatians, he says, uh, three years after I came to know Jesus, I went and visited Peter in Jerusalem. Well, we, we know that Paul, who nobody disputes, was a real person and had a huge impact on the church. Paul came to Christ about two to three years after Jesus died. Three years later, he goes and visits with Peter. And at this time, he receives this creed. So people in Jerusalem... We're talking about the resurrection five years after it happened. And we know that. We have evidence of that. And here's, here's the thing. You'll hear people say they made up the, they made up the resurrection 100 years later. They made it up so they could have power over people. The Catholic Church made it up. The Holy Roman Empire made it up so that it would look better for them. But we know that Christians were already claiming the resurrection within five years in the city that it happened. And here's what it all comes down to. If Jesus rose from the dead, then it changes everything. If Jesus rose from the dead, then it changes everything. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we talk. It changes the way we serve and the way we use our money. It changes everything. Now, there are some of you in here that are Christians, and you would say, man, I'm so excited just to hear there's evidence for my faith. When I I read a lot of this years back, I was, like, pumped. Like, I already believed it, but it was like, oh, my gosh, like, this actually happened. This is crazy. But for some of you, you came in here, you're not sure about God, you're definitely not sure about Jesus. Um, But maybe God has just shown you himself tonight. Maybe you've heard these words, and and it's not the arguments that convince you, because that's not what we're trying to do here, but the Holy Spirit, God, has has kind of confirmed it in your heart. And you're like, man, man, I believe this. I believe this happened. It makes sense. And I want to put my faith in Jesus, and I want to give you the opportunity to do that. That's how we're going to close tonight. So you're going to bow your heads, close your eyes. And if you, for the first time, want to give your life to Christ, 
If you believe in your heart that Jesus was crucified and resurrected, that he was the son of God, and you confess with your mouth that he is the son of God, that he was raised from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. So if you believe in your heart right now and you wanna make the decision to follow after Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And on the count of three, before we pray the prayer, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to remember the time that you said yes to Jesus, that you said, I'm going to follow after you, um, and and that that you uh, decided to make him the Lord of your life. So we're going to pray. One, God loves you. Two, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Three, if that's you, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand and say yes to God. And pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I'm yours. I know I've messed up. I know I'm not perfect. And I confess that you are the son of God, that you died and were buried and you rose again on the third day. I ask for forgiveness and grace. I wanna follow after you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you. In your name I pray, amen.